So we're starting a new series. Won't you be my neighbor? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Won't you be mine? Could you be mine? Okay, anyway, um, <laughs> that could get ugly if I start singing too much. Uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Now, how many of you spent some time with Mr. Rogers in uh, years past? Yeah, yeah. Um, how many of you have, have seen the documentary? Maybe next week we just show the documentary <laughs> on Sunday morning. Um, I, I want to encourage you, if you haven't seen it, it just came out um, online, so you can, you can download it and watch it online on any of your, you know, Amazon or iTunes or whatever you, you choose. Um, it is an interesting and powerful look at the mission Fred Rogers had and the way he took what God had given him and used it for good in this world. You know, he, he went to seminary to study to be a pastor, and um, God had a different path for him, although he was a pastor to so many kids in our country. And uh, if you've seen some of the interviews uh, with his wife over the last year since the documentary came out, and Yo-Yo Ma's uh, son, who's been a part of those documentaries as well, just, just incredible, um, the mission and his desire to see a world come together rather than be divided. And um, gosh, if, you know, I, I say this a lot and you, you, you see it as well. We are such a divided world. Like our world is so divided and we need the things and the people um, to, to come back together. Um, someone asked in, in an interview with his wife, what do you think Fred would say? What do you think Mr. Rogers would say today if he saw all that was going on in our country, how divided we are? And she said, Fred would do what he's always done, and he would work with children because children are the future, and they're the ones who can make the biggest difference in what this world becomes. Um, you know, the great commandment that Jesus talks about is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? We've, we've heard this before. We're probably fairly familiar with this. When, when Jesus was asked the question, what's the most important thing that we can do? What's the most important law in all of the Bible? Uh, he said, love God with everything that you are. Heart, soul, mind, strength. And then he said, the second is just like it. And so they go, they're, they're hand in hand, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Like those are the greatest commandments, in this documentary, um, Won't You Be My Neighbor, uh, Fred Rogers said this, the greatest thing we can do is to help someone know that they are loved and to help them know that they are capable of loving others. I mean, it's like the, the, the greatest commandment that Jesus gave us, it seems uh, Fred Rogers attempted to invest that into the lives of, of children around him. And the platform that he was given, 
And Fred Rogers was not afraid to tackle any subject. Um, some of you have seen this. Like he, he talked a, a, about divorce in a, in a time when most people didn't talk about divorce with kids. I mean, uh, he, he, he went after the, the, the racial divide that is a part of, of our country at times. And he did it so quietly and subtly. Um, what he did, rather than just talking about it, if you remember this, in, in that day, you know, there was such racial hostility hostility, and um, he had the policeman of the, the neighborhood, the, the, um, Francois was his name. Uh, if you remember, what he did is he was uh, in this little wading pool with his feet, and he had Francois come and sit with him, and then he dried his feet. It never really said anything, but what he did spoke, uh, spoke like a thousand words, right? Uh, the greatest thing you can do is to help someone know that they are loved. And his entire TV show was, was built around this. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm aware that there are people who walk into this room every Sunday who have never heard that they're loved. You've never, you've never heard someone look at you and say, I, I love you, and, and mean it. You've never had a parent say that to you. Uh, you've, you've never had an adult say that to you in, in, an, in, a, in a very meaningful way. And, and I hope when you walk into this place on Sundays, if, if you miss everything else, I, I hope you hear um, God saying that he loves you because he does more than you can ever imagine. But not just God. Um, I hope you hear from us. I hope you hear from me, one of your pastors, that I love you. And I'm so thankful that you're a part of this community even if it's for a short time coming in and, and going out. Um, but I want you to know that, that, that you are loved. And you're not just loved, but you're capable of love. And I know so many people don't hear that. They don't get that in the world in which uh, we live. So, so Jesus, you know, the greatest commandment, love God, love your neighbor. And um, looking for a loophole, Luke tells us this story. Looking for a loophole, um, the religious scholars asked, and, and so, how, how would you define neighbor? Now, isn't this like us as humans? You know, the greatest commandment is to love God and love your neighbor. Well, is it going to be on the test? And what should I study? And when I get to heaven, like, what's the question? Like, who is my neighbor? Is it like the person who lives next door, across the street? Is it two houses down? Do I have to go to another street, or is my street enough? Like, we, we want to know, like, how do you define neighbor? And so Jesus answers brilliantly with a story, right? He always does this. He, he's going to tell a story and have us participate in the learning. Because if he just tells us an answer... Uh, we, we may walk away, we, we'll probably forget it. And so if we participate in it, and so he says, look, he says, there was a man traveling from Jericho down to Jerusalem. And in that day and age, people would have known this was a da dangerous road. So it's like saying, uh, there was a man who was traveling from Flagstaff to Phoenix on the I-17 at night when there was snow falling, sleet on the street, and it was dark. And so there were some robbers who came upon this man who was traveling whose car had broken down. And, and uh, they, they beat the man. They took everything from him. And they left him half dead on the side of the road. 
Now, this is, this is the story. Like, Jesus wants us to begin participating. He wants us to hear what's going on and kind of feel a little sympathy for, for this man who was left half dead. And then, and then Jesus um, pokes at someone like me in, in the vocation that I'm a part of, and he says, luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road. Luckily. Thank, thank goodness for the pastor and the priest who show up. Except when he came close to the man and, and noticed him there, he angled across to the other side of the street and continued on without stopping. And then a Levite, and in that day and age, they would have known a Levite was another religious man, someone who, who had this religious practice about him. Um, uh, thankfully, he came along, but he did the same thing. He, he like avoided the man totally. Have you ever done that? Have you ever seen someone in need and just totally avoided them because you didn't want to get wrapped up in it? You're in church, so <laughs> this means yes. All of us, right? We've, we've done this before. And, and what's interesting about this story is that the priest and the Levite were actually following the law because they were headed to the temple and to stop and touch someone who was maybe dead or bloody would have made them ceremonially unclean, meaning they wouldn't be able to do what they were called to do. Does that make sense? So they were simply just following what they thought was the law by avoiding the man on the side of the road. So they have an out. But Jesus, like, he's, he's not good with this. Like, sometimes you can follow the law and do the wrong thing. Um, I came across this... Uh, this quote, uh, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know. Like that's a, that's a painful thought. Like we can choose to look the other way, but we can never say again that we, we, we didn't know. And so then Jesus continues with the, the, the story. A Samaritan, and a Samaritan was, was hated. Uh, this is like a Patriots fan. Uh, uh, <laughs> A Samaritan was traveling the same road, and he came upon the man. And this is where I, I want to kind of stop this story today, and we, we may pick back up next week. Um, but when he saw the man and his condition, his heart went out to him. And this little phrase, his heart went out to him, uh, is sometimes translated, he had compassion for the man. So the, the, the theme, the thought... Um, of, of who is a neighbor, uh, the first thing that we notice is that there is compassion involved when we come across people in need. Does that make sense? There's compassion there. Um, compassion is sympathetic consciousness of others' distress. So being aware of, of, of distress or pain in someone else's life, together it's not just sympathy, so it's not just, oh, I'm so sorry you've been beaten and you can't get up and you can't carry on on your own. It's not just sympathy that someone's been in pain, but it's a desire to also alleviate to the best of your ability what you find. So it's not just being aware of something, it's also the desire to help meet a need when we see that need. Compassion, sympathetic consciousness with a desire to alleviate it. Now, 
sometimes we miss like deeper meanings in Scripture when we, we, when we don't jump back into like the ancient languages. So I'm going to nerd out just for a second. Is that okay? Can we nerd out just for a second and kind of jump into the ancient languages? And there's two ancient languages primarily in, in the Bible. There's Hebrew and, and there's Greek. And so I'm going to start with the Hebrew. Um, and the word there is raham. And um, raham is, is part of the, the, the name Abraham. If you think about little root words throughout the Bible, raham is translated compassion in many places in the Old Testament. But a slight variation of this word is translated womb, like a mother's womb. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute, that the concept of compassion, like seeing a need and wanting to do something about it, just a slight variation in in the Hebrew context is the womb of a mother who not only uh, just their body instinctively knows what's needed, but provides exactly what's needed, the, the lifeline to a child who will one day be born into this world. You see the little subtle connection between the two? And then in the New Testament, uh, splanknon, splanknon. See if you can use that this week, splanknon. <laughs> Someone will say kazuntite, yes, splanknon. Um, Splanknon ha- has the, the, the translation, sometimes translated a heart that is overflowing, and sometimes it, it's translated as like guts. Like compassion is, is gutsy. Like there's something down deep within you. There, there, there is something to do with your, your insides. It's kind of gross. But the translation there in the Greek, this splanknon, is this, this concept that there is a deep, guttural feeling within you. Now, how often do you come across someone in the world and you have a deep, guttural, womb-like feeling toward them? Not very often, do we? Like, it's, it's, it's as if... Um, there, maybe there's something missing within us. Uh, a couple places where we see this uh, translated. Um, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, says the Lord. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. There's this concept of compassion tied within that comfort that's provided a mother to a child. Um, Charlie my youngest a couple years ago was in our backyard and he had a baseball bat, you know, where the story's going. <laughs> and we had this big um, balance ball in the backyard, like, um, and, and Charlie thought, I'm going to hit this ball as hard as I can. So Charlie takes this bat and like right in front of him just like hits this ball, which then hits him right in the head, <laughs> Right? And so he runs inside with, like, blood pouring down his, his face. Now, Robin and I, are, are, our compassion looks different. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and it doesn't mean that, that, that one of us has compassion and one of us doesn't have compassion. Our compassion just looks very differently. Robin's compassion 
is, is the compassion, like a comfort kind of a compassion. And so Robin like swallows him up and, and, and pulls him close. It's going to be okay. You're fine. I, I'm, I'm here. I'm with you. My compassion is to look at it. I don't think it needs stitches. I think we're good. Stop, stop crying so I can see your eye. Some of you are like, that's a lack of compassion, Matt. <laughs> and, and Robin thinking, no, no, it definitely needs stitches. And um, football came rolling down. <laughs> I love it. Definitely needs stitches. And so my compassion is to take a picture and send it to my orthopedic buddy and say, stitches or no, question mark. And his reply is, meet me at my house. And Robin said, you are not taking him to, to Mike's house. You're, you're taking him to the hospital. And I'm like, the hospital's slow, and there's germs all over, and it could get in there. But if I take him to my friend's house, he can look at it and, you know, stitch him up there. And my compassion just looks very different than Robin's. I, I won, and his eye looks pretty good. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Compassion, compassion looks different. Like compassion isn't the same thing for everyone. It, it looks different. It's, it's, it's a feeling, a consciousness of someone's pain and distress matched with wanting to do something about it. Jesus, when Jesus saw the crowds, uh, Luke tells us, when Jesus saw the crowds, or Matthew in, in this passage, um, he had compassion on them. For, for they were confused, they were lost, they were helpless. When he, when he saw the crowds of people that were gathering, like Jesus felt this deep sense of compassion. And he wanted to do something about it. Now, another place that we find the word compassion in the Old Testament is in Psalm. In Psalms, uh, David had, uh, he, he had an affair with a, a woman named Bathsheba, you guys know this story. And, and it was out of that, that that David was confronted with his own weakness and his own brokenness. And listen what, how David begins this psalm uh, about what he had done, about his sin. He says, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me because of your unfailing love. Listen to what he, he, he requests from God. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin. Like, compassion can sometimes cover up the ways that we hurt one another. Compassion can cause us, can lead us to forgive, to blot out the stain of someone else's sin. Does that, does that make sense? It's, 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 it's an interesting concept, all these different pieces coming together. So compassion is like comfort, it's care, but it's also forgiveness, um, Compassion leads us to forgive others from time to time, to overlook, to set aside maybe what someone has done to us that has hurt us, or what we, what we assume someone has done to us. Now, isn't this like us as humans to assume people have done something to us based on what we've heard or based on what others have thought? We build up these walls, not because we've actually been offended, but because we think we've been offended by somebody. 
We listen to little reports. We hear little sound bites, little pieces picked up here and there, and we build up walls. Compassion, on the other hand, like leads us to move those things aside, to, to give the benefit of the doubt, to maybe blot out someone else's wrongdoings or what we think someone else has done to wrong us. And here's where it begins. I, I think this is the, the, the baseline of compassion is understanding that every human being, now listen, every human being, every, every human, every human being, every human being, who? Every human being has great value and down deep bears the image of God. Every human being. Really? Yes. Like, like anyone that we come in contact with, anyone we see on the news, anyone that we think that person is, is pure evil. That person is pure evil. No, no, even that person has incredible value. And somewhere down deep inside, we may not, not ever see it, somewhere down deep, they bear the image of God. And it causes us, it should cause us, that in their brokenness, in their pain, in their sin, to, to, to feel something and express love. To them. I mean, that's the baseline of compassion is, is realizing that every human being has great value and bears the image of God. Now, um, I, I, I want to read a passage of Scripture, and it's printed on, on your little note page, your little handout that you got, that is, um, is, a, is a passage of Scripture that, that I'd rather not, like, take in and listen to. It's one of those that you kind of just want to set to the side and, and, and really not um, think about, but misery loves company, so you're coming along with me this morning. This, this is um, John writing, and he says, this is how we've come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrificed his, love for, or his life for us. And so the way that we've, we fully comprehend love is seeing a God who has given up his very life, sacrificed everything for us. That's love. Like pure sacrifice is love, right? So this is how we've come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrificed his life for us. This is why we ought to live, what's that next word? Sacrificially out of compassion for others, right? It's why we should... We should Live sacrificially for others. Now, here's the part. Now, that part's not, not that, that difficult. But here's this next part. Get this. If you see someone in need and you have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, and some translations say you have no compassion for them, what, what happens to God's love? God's love disappears and you made it disappear. Whoa! Slow down, John. Like, that's a little harsh, wouldn't you say? Like, so this guy that was beaten, and, and the priest was following the law, so he just went to the other side of the road, avoided the man, and, and really just doing what God had commanded earlier in Scripture. Like, really, he's the one who made God's love disappear? And I think John would say, yes, absolutely. Like if you see someone in need and you, you, you have the ability to, to do something and you don't, 
then you've caused God's love to be hidden from this person. Well, that's a heavy indictment on us, isn't it? Compassion, compassion is that which moves us to, to do something for, for someone else. Okay, so now we've, we've talked about the theological and, and maybe gotten into the practical a little bit. But let's ask the question, why don't we do it? Why, like when we see someone in need who's in pain or there's something going on, distress, why don't we do it? What do you think? Why don't we do it? Maybe it's messy. Maybe, maybe we have... Uh, maybe we don't see it. I love this. I'm going to keep coming back to this. I, I think this is the number one reason why we don't do anything. Um, uh, Willard says this, Dallas Willard, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. We're just too busy. And I don't think it's that we're too busy to, to actually do something. I think we're too busy to actually see something. Let me talk to myself for a minute. Um, I think I'm too busy to actually see the real brokenness and pain that is all around me every day, including the pain sometimes that's in this room. I'm just too busy. And, and as Willard says, hurry is, is the great enemy of following Jesus, of the spiritual life, of trying to pursue Christ in our life because we're just too busy to see or do anything about it. You must, and then he said this, uh, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Oh, man, how many of you wish you could do that? You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So if we want to develop compassion, if you want to develop compassion, if I want to develop compassion, it's going to require us to slow down, to see, to hear, and then to make the decision to respond in love to what we've both seen and heard around us. Like that's, that's what compassion requires. And, and what's interesting is if we keep that passage from John in mind, we're reminded every single day if we don't have compassion, we actually are the ones keeping others from experiencing God's love in this world. Like so compassion isn't, isn't like, a, like a multiple choice, I'll take this, I don't want that. Compassion requires too much, so I'm going to pass on that. But I'll smile. No, no. Like, compassion is a requirement of following Jesus. It's, it's something that is to be developed within us. Like, we are to start, like, feeling for those who are around us in pain. And for some of us, it's really difficult. I mean, and I'll start with myself. I am not a very... I was with some pastor friends this week uh, at a roundtable. And we were all talking about, hey, what are you talking about this weekend? And I said, I really don't want to preach this weekend because the subject is compassion. Uh, it's such an important thing, and I am terrible at it. Like, I'm just not a very, like, I just am not very compassionate. And I ask myself, I come back to again, like, why am I not very compassionate? It's not because I don't care. It's because I'm too busy. I'm, there's just too much going on. And so to develop that is is just like a, a, a decision to slow down, to see and to hear, and then to respond to what I've seen and heard. Um, little, little compassion challenge for this week. Are you ready for this? And then, and then we'll, we'll sing one last song together. Little compassion challenge. Number one, if you're like me and you don't feel 
anything for people, like at times. I don't mean I don't feel anything for people, but if you're like me and you, and you struggle with like that, that feeling, um, ask God to give you a heart of compassion. Like throughout Scripture, God tells us that if we will turn back to Him, He will replace our, our heart of stone with a soft heart, with a new heart. And so ask God to give you a, a heart of compassion. So maybe that's your, your starting point this week, is just simply every morning, God, um, give me a heart of compassion for the people I interact with this week. Number two, put yourself in environments of unfiltered need. You know what I mean? Like don't sanitize it. Like put yourself in some, some difficult situations of unfiltered need. This is why every month we're trying to put ourselves at Feed My Starving Children, you mom, uh, Mana House. It's, it's why we're trying to put ourselves as a congregation in places where there's, there's, there's great need so that we begin to, to soften our hearts for the people who are all around us. So maybe this week you need to commit to jumping into one of those environments with, with your church community. Feed My Starving Children's coming up, you mom's coming up. Um, I think AZ Hope in the Future, which is working with foster kids, a new ministry we're partnering with, that, there's something coming up that you could be a part of, but put yourself in environments of unfiltered need. And then number three, do something. You know what I mean? Like, like actually do something. Respond out of, out of love for someone. And I think when we begin to do that, when we put ourselves in those places, I, I think God like, will, will do something within us. And then we'll become compassionate people. To close today, um, we're going to sing this, this song uh, which, which speaks of the way God is reckless in his love towards us. Like there's nothing that can keep God's love from us. He's, he's willing to go to great lengths so that we, we understand his love. And um, it's, a, it's a beautiful song reminding us of how loved we are. And as we sing this, we do this every week, there's stations around the room, there's this cross, if you want to write prayer requests, put it on the cross, a confession, put it on the cross, a person's name who needs your compassion, put it on the cross as your way of asking God to, to help you with that. There's candles in the back of the room, and light represents God's presence, so maybe you simply want to light a candle and say, God, I need your heart of compassion, the compassion Jesus showed, I, I need that in, in my life. Uh, there's communion around the room, which is um, this visible reminder of, of the broken body of Christ, that piece of bread, and this little cup of juice that represents his blood, which was poured out for us. And I don't want us to lose sight of the body and blood of Jesus, the sacrificial act for us because of God's great compassion. In the far back of the room, the cave, there's a, a, a prayer team that would love to pray for you. If you just need prayer, you don't have to tell them a big story. You can just say, I just need prayer today. My name's Matt. And they'll just pray over you. And you might want to share more than that, and that's fine. But if, if you just need someone to pray for you today. Um, there's a story of Jesus, and he's in a little village, and there's a funeral procession happening. And uh, he sees the mother of this child who's died. And he feels something. The scripture uses the word compassion. 
And Jesus is so moved by the pain of this woman that he simply goes over and he touches this young boy and gives him life again. And it's out of his compassion that, that breathes life into to someone. And, and I can't help but think there are people in your life and my life every single day who, who feel as though they have no life left. And all it takes sometimes is a, is a simple step reminding them that they're not alone. Like, like seeing and hearing and then, and then responding out of love. Does that, does that make sense? I mean, that's the kind of church we want to be.